October 14th annular eclipse on episode 365 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up, who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. Yeah, sorry for the stumble there. I was uh, up late last night doing some astronomy, Shane. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, that that's the, uh, I guess, the symptoms of an, of an astronomer when they're a little discombobulated the next day you know oh. they probably were doing good things the night before yeah i was telling one of the listeners and trying to figure out a way to do it better to do the observing and then do the podcast the next day i have not figured out that formula yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> episode 365 if if somebody started listening to the show when this gets released and they started at episode one they could listen to our podcast every day of the year for a full year hmm yeah 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 um some people have cool. done that yeah that's and some cool. people have done that eh? really well you know i guess that could be the new actual astronomy podcast challenge uh one episode a day for the next year <laughs> um yeah anyway that's cool yeah we have a few patreon supporters to thank we're uh getting several patreon supporters we we really appreciate it. Um, there are costs associated with the show, but who are we thanking this morning, Shane? Our newest supporters are James, Bill, Jim, and Wes. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we do really appreciate it. And, and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Helps keep the show going. Yeah, sometimes we also put in people that renew because we get um, different notifications for different things. And uh, it's kind of, I don't know, I can't really see how to sort through them. It's like, well, if we get a name, we're going to thank the person and uh, often rate them an email as well. So we do, mm -hmm. uh, we do appreciate it. One of the new Patreon supporters is Bill and he's part of the, I think it's called, boy, I hope. And, and again, I've been up most of the night and now doing a podcast and I believe I have this right. Goldendale Sky Village. Did you mm -hmm. see that email from Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I sent him a reply and I was like, part of my reply was I I'm. When very... can I move in? <laughs> Well, pretty much, but you know, I'm kind of envious of these sky villages or sky communities. Uh, there's a number of them in the United States. And uh, in my email response, I said, I, I wished we had more of that here where, you know, it was like-minded folks getting together and, you know, kind of creating a, an area or a facility that really allows for, you know, good astronomy. So uh, I think that this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of gone down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's all, well, that's all I have to say about that. I yeah, get it. yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty cool though to have these specific places. We have there's another group, and I don't even want to try to say the name because I have trouble pronouncing it anyway. Um, down in Arizona, there's two or three, I think three or four people now, maybe that are listeners that are at one of the sky villages there. And uh, I was thinking it would be neat to chat to some of them. Um, Bill also was talking about starting a podcast for his mm -hmm. sky village. And uh, I think I had sent him a little bit of info. You'd sent him a little bit of info on that. And I was like, well, hey, you know, why don't uh, you come on the show and chat about the Sky Village? And then uh, you can kind of see how the hot dogs are made a little bit and uh, maybe get some ideas for doing your own show. Because uh, there isn't a lot of amateur astronomy generated content when it comes to uh, podcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, especially you know, as we've said before, that focuses on the visual aspect of observing, you know, there's yeah. certainly some astrophysics stuff out there, which are great. 
there's some that get into the astrophotography a little bit, which is also really interesting. Uh, but this part of the spectrum, probably not as well represented. Yeah, I think he's going to be talking to the amateur astronomers there at the Sky Village, talking about the Sky Village. I think that's a really neat way to uh, communicate with people. He's got a, a technology background as well, so I think uh, he won't uh, face uh, some of those barriers. I know with some other folks that have talked to us in the past, I think sometimes the uh, it could be a little futzy to set up the podcast, eh? like I think is the easiest way to put it. Yeah, it takes a little bit to get your processes and you know practices established, but once it's there, then for us anyway, it, it seems to roll pretty easily. Um, but at the start, there was a lot of unknowns and we had to figure out a few things. But uh, yeah, now that it's all going, it, it's a lot easier. I, I think as well, because we did this before and we made all the mistakes the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that helped. <laughs> yes. Do not try to script too heavily. Do not try to make too much other content. Just do a podcast. Yeah. Um, limit, limit the number of coyote uh, sound effects injected into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, someone sent us Coyote sound effects once. Remember? Do you? Are, yeah, are yeah, you? Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I do remember. Well, yeah. oh, I just, oh, was that we, when I had to splice them in? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. when you and I, like ten or so years ago, were doing it the first time. Uh, there was a few episodes I remember where you put in some, you know, sound effects that made it <laughs> try to capture the essence of being outside oh. and observing. It was, it was fun. Yeah, it was too much work. We did like. 13 episodes in two years. Yep. It was, uh, <laughs> it was too much, but here we are today. Much more improved. I don't know if I feel any improved today. Did you get any observing in this past week, Shane? No. Well, it was a little rainy here. And, um, I, there was one night, I think maybe Tuesday night, it cleared. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And I contemplated it, but, uh, just never, never got the telescope out the door. How about you? Well, you know, in the immortal words of uh, Hunter S. Thompson, I, I bought the ticket, so I take the ride, which is meaning that uh, uh, I've gone down that that independent Sky Village hole and have my own cabin in the woods. And, uh, yeah, so when it's clear in that, I have no money to go drinking or anything. So I come out here and do astronomy. And it was only going to be clear for like about, well, not clear. It was only going to be dark for about 45 minutes. I didn't even know if it was going to be clear. But I think uh, we were chatting just before we hit record that the weather is starting to turn. We're starting to get, you know, some negative digits at night. And I needed just to put a, a board over a pipe. We have just one meter of exposed pipe left. And uh, it's going to be put internally sometime either late this fall or early next spring. And I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't uh, 100% exposed. It's it's rated to minus seven or 10 or something. But uh, I was worried that, uh, you know, we could get a sudden sharp drop and that just by putting a board over it would uh, would definitely uh, keep it warm enough. But anyway, so I came out here and it cleared. And I wanted to look at one thing, which was Messier 101, because I was looking at it when we were in the grasslands, actually through uh, Peter's scope. Peter is a friend of, friend of mine from over in uh, Moose Jaw. And he had his 10-inch and we were looking at it. And I thought, oh, I really want to get a good observation and, and a sketch of it. And, and and then I was sweeping around here a couple nights and I just couldn't nail it. And so I thought I'm going to hunt it down. So I hunted it down in the four inch telescope and binoculars and in the four inch scope. I could just really start to pick out some of those spiral arms. And then in the 12 by 36s, end up doing a sketch. It's just sort of a, a pale round disc, uh, pretty, pretty tough to see. Um, 
you know, when the moon is rising, but I did a, did a sketch of it anyway. And then I did a bit of a sky tour toward around Malat 20, the double cluster, Trumpler 2, Pasmino's cluster, Campbell's Cascade, M14, IC4665, M11, the Skidum Starcloud, M1617, Barnard Z. And I took a look at M13 before I turned in at 11. Hmm. Lots of stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's part of the beauty with those binoculars. You, you just can take in an awful lot of the sky very quickly and they're wonderful for short sessions and lots of objects. Yeah. And I did, uh, 10 Messier sketches last night with them. I had them out and, uh, it was really nice last evening and I've been, see the observatory is not done observatory update it's still not done i don't know that it's going to get done the the initial goal was to be done before the first snow flies and mm-hmm. as you know shane that happened on when was it sunday or monday or something yeah yeah it, uh one of those days it's actually i think it might have been wednesday but it Maybe doesn't it matter a little bit of snow fell it didn't it's stick it, it melted as soon as it hit the ground but uh you know it's it's a sign chris it's coming <laughs> yeah, but the observatory is not done and the snow is now um, in the offing. So uh, I thought, hmm, w- what's a good project to do? It's, I find it hard to focus on too much. Like somebody's asking me if I was doing the planetary sketches and observations this year. And I'm not really just having trouble getting into it. Um, the observatory is just too much of a distraction. So I decided I would buy these binoculars and that I would try to observe and sketch all of the Messier's through 36 millimeter binoculars, which I haven't heard as many people doing before. So I thought this, this could be a neat, uh, a neat project. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of toiling away on that and did 10 last night. I did uh, M23, M25, M24, M18, M17, M16. And uh, then I went in. So that took me about an hour. And then I went in and came back out. I did M30, M2, M15. And then just for the uh, final piece de resistance, I did a sketch of M15 through the four inch at about 145 magnification and sent that off to our friend uh, Michael Wright at the Kitchener-Waterloo Centre, where I am a member, even though I live way the heck out here in Saskatchewan, because Michael had asked if uh, I might be getting out to to get a sketch of that off and and i hadn't been able to up to this point so sent that off to him so that was a lot of fun nice that's awesome so that's what i'm doing these days and nights and working full time and doing a podcast and finishing up the calendar it's just a lot of astronomy it's a lot of fun though. it's good i was worried we'd never see skies like this again shane i'm sitting here looking out it's this uh, beautiful azure blue sky. If you went to Greece, this is what the uh, water would look like. Um, and I think that sometimes uh, in Saskatchewan, you know, I always wanted to come to Saskatchewan before we moved here. And this is me talking very tired and I'm going to bore Shane here for a moment. But I always wanted, I, I thought it would be a neat place to come. And I think one of the things that maybe gets missed in the in the brochure is that um it can have these beautiful blue clear skies for days on end, sometimes weeks on end. And uh, there is something to that. It, it is really in, in many respects, just as beautiful as, you know, uh, like the Mediterranean ocean at, at times. So that's my bit. That's my sales pitch for Saskatchewan. Let's talk about the solar eclipse on the 14th of October. Yeah. Big, big event for some of us in North America. Yeah. So, um, during an annular eclipse, it is never safe to look directly 
at the sun. Unless no. you're, yeah, unless you're using specialized eye protection designed for solar viewing. So you will always need to be using solar safety glasses, solar filters for the telescopes, or specialized solar telescopes for looking at the annular eclipse. If you do not, what happens to people that uh, that don't take the proper protection chain? Well, you're probably going to cause permanent eye damage, um, mm -hmm. uh, resulting in a loss of uh, eyesight. You know, uh, could be a hundred percent, could be you know partial, but you will uh, you will not be happy. <laughs> it it won't be fun. So yeah, definitely use the right protection, whether it's those solar glasses or or the appropriate filter for your optics. Yeah, and there might even a camera too. I should probably quickly mention, um, like opening up your your camera shutter and pointing it at the sun can sometimes cause damage there too. So if you're photographing, um, it's also good to have the appropriate filter for that gear so that yeah. it uh, is protected. Yeah, and now some people might be a little bit confused by this because when we're talking about a solar eclipse, oftentimes people are uh, talking about seeing it without. Uh, specialized solar safety but this one's different what's uh, what makes this one a little bit different than uh, than the typical solar eclipse well the part that it's annular is that what, yeah. what you're going towards yeah yeah so with an annular eclipse um well a total eclipse maybe let's just start there quickly yeah a, a total eclipse if you're in the path of totality um there will be a period of time um where the moon is essentially blocking uh, all of the sunlight or most of the sunlight. And it is actually safe in those moments during that kind of an eclipse to look at the sun without any filters. And that's total eclipse, totally yeah. being covered. Total eclipse. Yeah. Now in annular, what makes this one a little different is the moon. So the moon, as it orbits earth, it's not a perfect like circle orbit. It's a little elliptical. Um, and that means at points, it's a little further away from us. And when it's a little further away from us and it happens to pass in front of the sun from our perspective, uh, it no longer blocks the entire sun. Um, so during an annular, uh, there's this uh, term, it's, it's a ring of fire eclipse because the outer circle of the sun is still visible. And in fact, um, even if you're in the path of uh, I don't know, I guess it's not totality, but if you're, if you're in the center path of the annular eclipse, you can see this ring of fire, but if you were just having a normal day and not looking around, you might not even notice that it's happening because that's how much light is still coming through. So it's still, mm -hmm. you know, it's still kind of dangerous in a way. And that's why you need, uh, that's why we're harping on the filter part of this and, and protecting your eyes. Right. Exactly. Maybe we should just do this really quick. So um, I didn't put this in the notes, but what would be some good um, solar filters that people could use? Um, well, for your telescopes, having just a dedicated hydrogen alpha telescope would be, uh, you know, one of the safer ways. It's a little expensive, um, maybe going from most expensive to least expensive. So that's mm. the most expensive. Uh, next on the list would probably be a Herschel wedge is my guess. Okay. Um, so this would be only for like refractors. Um, I'm not sure if you can use them in, 
in uh, like Casa Greens and Maxudovs. I, I would have to, I'd have to read, but um, stick to the refractor, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so this basically just replaces the normal nighttime diagonal on your refractor. You put in this Herschel wedge diagonal and it's very safe to use then for observing the sun. Uh, maybe next on the list would be, um, like the, the Bader solar film. Uh, there's, I think there's other manufacturers, but I'm not sure, you know, I, I would stick with the Bader stuff because that's, you know, well known to be of high quality. Um, mm -hmm. and these filters can go on the front of any telescope, um, whether it's a, a refractor, reflector, compound telescope. And, uh, with these things, you can, you can observe, um, the sun very safely. Um, they can get expensive though. Like if you have a large aperture telescope, like a 12 inch Newtonian, uh, a 12 inch solar film filter will be pricey. Mm. Um, so what some people often do is, um, kind of create like an aperture mask with a little hole and then, because you don't need 12 inches of aperture to look at the sun. <laughs> you really, you can get away with like one inch of aperture. So yeah. you cut a much smaller hole and then that saves, uh, uh, the cost of, of the solar film, it, it reduces it anyway. Yep. Um, and then maybe the least expensive way to observe one of these things. Uh, and you talked about it on a, a recent previous podcast is, uh, purchasing some solar eclipse glasses. Uh, yeah. like they cost like single dollars per pair. Um, and again, they're very safe to use. And what's kind of neat with those is it just gives you a different perspective because the scale, you know, is, is unaided optically. And it's kind of neat actually to observe, uh, some of the solar yeah. eclipses with those. I, 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 even if you have all of the other stuff I've talked about, get some solar glasses and, and put those on during the event because it's actually yeah. pretty neat to use them. Yeah. That's probably all I'm going to do for this because here we see, uh, about 50%, um, some things not to do, um, only use a an approved i think it's like there's like an iso number you should see mm -hmm. um bader uh, which is a branding b-a-a-d-e-r uh solar film uh, or white light uh, filters made out of that um don't use um things that are not certified don't use things that just say sun filter don't use any kind of like glass type thing um, yeah, you need to use like an approved ISO certified solar filter or like a specialized telescope, uh, hydrogen alpha or, or one of those that is again, constructed to a very high standard or the Herschel wedge, like Shane was saying, again, it's batter who makes, makes the solar uh, wedge, uh, Herschel solar wedge, isn't it? Well, they do, uh, Lunt does, okay. there's, there's a few manufacturers. There's a few. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, stick stick with the well-known brand names i would say yeah. and um you know because i'm kind of the vintage telescope guy on this podcast um i should also maybe mention if you have like one of those old tasco telescopes or you know pick your brand name from the 60s uh they often came with a solar filter that you just screw into the bottom of an eyepiece like a 0.965 inch eyepiece uh don't use those um those those old solar glass filters um, are not reliable and they can break with the heat. This, this is the biggest problem or one of the bigger problems with observing the sun. When you try to filter out, um, you know, the light and the intensity, 
uh, you're you're really you know collecting heat, and you have to have a, mm. an effective way to dissipate it, or or whatever your filter is can sometimes become a problem. And uh, those old glass filters um, sometimes just break uh, due to the heat uh, aspect of things. So do not use those; they're not safe. Uh, stick with something more modern. Yeah, they used to, the glass filters used to be a big do. Like when I started in astronomy, even still, and a bunch of uh, manufacturers still made them. You could buy them, and I remember originally thinking that's what I would get, just because they were more expensive, even, and they they look nice. Not that oh, and they'll be more durable than just this you know, mylar tinfoil type looking stuff. But uh, I talked to somebody like you that, that knows what they're talking about, Shane. And they said, no, don't go with that because like you said, they can heat up. Um, one person told me they had one once and and they were um, observing through it and 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 they they turned away for, for a minute to grab a new eyepiece or something. And they heard a funny crack, uh, cracking sound and they looked and and the filter had split um, right in two instantaneously because like you said the heat built up and i've also seen ones um that i've pulled out of old uh storage at telescope clubs or astronomy clubs and it almost looks like they've de like some of the stuff has fallen away from them so it's yeah it's not a great technology whereas with the uh, batter solar filter you can just hold it up to a light in your living room and, and take a look at it and you can see if there's any holes and uh you know, that, that would be like, if it was old or something, uh, if there's no holes in it, then it's safe to use. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, well-used, well-known and, uh, versatile, uh, piece of equipment. I don't have one for any of my scopes right now. Like I have a really old one, but I don't trust it. So I'm not going to use it. I'm mm -hmm. just going to use solar safety glasses. That's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, assuming we have clear skies, I'll certainly have my, uh, my white light, uh, Herschel wedge, uh, in operation as well as the hydrogen alpha. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll observe the event using those instruments. Yeah. If it's clear, you should think about coming out here. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't it, go to your, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's clear, I have another destination that I'll probably be at to do okay. both actually, uh, some nighttime observing, uh, as well as some uh, eclipse observing. But yeah, if I don't travel, for sure, uh, I'll come out and we can have a look and hopefully observe the whole thing. That would be really neat. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a solar eclipse and that that happens, an eclipse happens, a solar eclipse happens when the moon passes between the earth and the sun. And like Shane was saying, this one is different because we don't have a totality event that the uh, annular um, nature of it is that the moon is uh, at apogee on October 10th, and this occurring only uh, three or four days past apogee, the moon's apparent diameter is going to be too small to cover the uh, whole solar disk. Mm -hmm. And so uh, because of that, we get this uh, remaining circle. Even if you're on the path of greatest coverage, you're going to have a circle remaining around the moon, which is the... Uh, the solar disk itself, and it does shine too bright to look at with the unaided eye. Mm -hmm. And they call this the ring of fire. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of so neat. Is, yeah. Pretty neat. So yeah, go ahead. I, I, I wish, I wish that we were on this path uh, so that we could see that ring of fire. I've, I've actually never seen that from an annular before. Um, but one thing you can look for if you're not on the path is um, the, the Bailey beads effect which is uh, light poking around um, like kind of the irregularity mm. along the edges of the moon. Um, this is a known effect that total eclipse uh, chasers often look for, but you can see it uh, potentially during 
um, during an annular. So that's something to keep on your list. And um, the path of, and I, I guess it's called the path of annularity, not the path of totality, which makes sense. Yep. Um, it begins on land uh, in Oregon, sweeps across California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. So if you live in any of those areas and you're interested, make sure you check the path and see if you can get there. Um, but it also will go through uh, Mexico, Belize, uh, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, Panama. Colombia, Brazil. So uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of countries that this will be visible through. And again, if you live in those areas, um, check it out. Maybe maybe you're already on the path of annularity, or or maybe it's not too far from you. So you know, if it were me, and uh, I could get to the path of annularity without a lot of difficulty, I certainly would make a, a good effort for that. And and really, the other aspect here, if you're really motivated to do this. Have a plan B, C, D, and E uh, for the weather because um, uh, you never know. It, it might be cloudy for the location that you want to go to, but have a couple other ideas of where you could go so that, you know, if you have to travel a little bit to get to clear skies, you've already made that um, analysis and and you just start driving um, because even... Even if the forecast is looking good when you go to bed, sometimes when you wake up the next day, it's already changed and all of a sudden there might be cloud. Here, we're going to have about 50% coverage, I, I think. I think we're like right at 50%. Okay, right on. So, uh, yeah, it could be kind of neat to see. I think maximum for us is at 9.20 in the morning. But I'll, I'll say at this point, it could be a bit of a coin toss on whether it would be clear or not. Certainly if it had been yesterday morning or this morning, we would have seen it. But, you know, once we get two or three Saturday mornings in a row that are nice and clear, it makes me skeptical that we'll have uh, a third or a fourth one. You know what I mean? So it's like, hmm. Yeah. And, and at this point, it's just too far away to really predict anything uh, yeah. you know, from the weather forecasts. Uh, I I really don't get too excited until you know, Friday evening <laughs> in a, in a few days here. So, um, I'm hoping we, we get to see this, uh, this, this is fun. Like I, I love any sort of solar system events and these eclipse events, um, they happen all of the time. It's just, they're sometimes in the middle of the ocean or the Antarctic or places where there's not a lot of people. Um, so whenever it hits a, a you know, like right through, uh, you know, a couple of continents like this, uh, it's a great opportunity for people to to take it in. Here, we're going to have 50% out in Atlantic Canada, though, Dave Chapman, our good friend Dave. He's only going to have like 8% in Halifax, not even quite 10%. If you drove to uh, the Kejimakujik Dark Sky Preserve, I think they're right on the line just to barely get 10% there. But for people like our friend Bill Weir out in British Columbia, Canada, he's going to have 80%. And then along the east coast of the U.S., um, uh, Maine, I think, is still around that maybe 15% mark. Uh, but then as you get uh, further down towards like Florida, because that's much closer to that line, um, I think you can even get as much as like 75% or something like that. There's some good uh, websites out there. One is called the great American eclipse.com and they have some good maps. I was taking a look at looks like uh, some good resources there. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a, there's a few Reddit threads too, for this eclipse. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of information out there or resources uh, for people to chase down. Uh, any, is there any resources off the top of your head, Shane, that you might recommend for people to uh, take a peek at? Um, really 
the the planetarium software is also really good like if you have sky safari or stellarium any of those you can simulate what it will look like from any location and i do recommend that um because again it just helps with the preparation um but also be aware of the timings for your area like when the eclipse begins if you're on the path of annularity know when that moment will be like when it begins and when it ends because there's you know all of this is well known and this just helps you plan out your day um also if you're planning to do any photography um and you've never done uh photography of the sun or during an eclipse uh, i would also recommend you do some research on that because you're going to probably be changing some of your ISO and exposure settings and all of that kind of stuff at for different periods of the eclipse, um, depending on how you're trying to capture it. So that might be uh, something to consider if you're on that side of things. Uh, a really good resource as well that uh, people should be aware of, and it's for anybody who's going to these eclipses, is AmazingSky.net, which is uh, Alan Dyer. Mm. Um, he's uh, a world-renowned uh, astrophotographer. And uh, Alan has written a book, and I'm just trying to find it on his website here, but I can't find it really quick. But if you, uh, even I think if you go and just search for uh, Alan Dyer um, Solar Eclipse book, you're, you're going to find it. And he's got all kinds of stuff here. You can, like, this is where you should go. If you want to see what Shane are actually talking, he's got everything that we've talked about. He's got the maps from greatamericanclips.com. He's got a whole section here on filters. He's got which ones to get, which ones not to get. He's got all the stuff on the solar safety. He's even got images of what each type of these filters looks like if you want to do photographs through them mm. and all this stuff. And then on top of that, if you want even more information, <laughs> uh, you can buy his book, which I forget how much it is, but I feel like it is not that much money. And I think if you were planning to do solar eclipse photography this is a must-have book but holy smokes he has got literally pages and pages and pages and i think if you look very close there's even a photo of me on this page because i went and observed a solar eclipse once with Alan Dyer. i don't know if you know that shane but anyway he uh yeah he is this and yes so his book is called and it's right at the bottom he's not really good at advertising on this page how to photograph the solar eclipses a guide to capturing the 2023 and 2024 eclipses of the sun by alan dyer amazing sky photography and publishing and uh yeah there's a link there's a link there to uh to purchase that book but people can look it up i think if you were going to photograph it it would be worth uh spending the money i don't i want to say it's like ten dollars or something it's not a lot of money but even if you go to his website, you can get the main the main bits um, that we were talking about here anyway. AmazingSky.net. People should check that out and say hi to Alan if you're buying stuff from him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good resource. Yeah, cool. All right, let's see. Going back to my notes, we've got a few minutes here, Shane. Shall mm -hmm. we read an email from Michael Wright? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to do that or me? I can do yeah, that because I put this in at the last minute. This is my waking up and scrambling to finish my show notes and springing stuff on chain at the last minute type of <laughs> So <laughs> Michael writes, hi guys, this weekend was the fall equinox edition of the Kitchener-Waterloo RASC Bayfield Star Party. So what they do is uh, in the spring and in the uh, at the summer uh, solstice, they go out to a place called... Uh, 
uh, Bayfield, which is um, on the on the shore of one of the Great Lakes. And it's uh, it's a site that's about as dark, maybe just a hair darker than my site here um, outside of Virginia. So it's a it's a pretty good spot to go to. Um, we had about 26 participants at the camp. It's a place just south of Bayfield, Ontario. I'm not going to give the camp name. I'm going to take that out because uh, I don't know what the story is. I know that they have like some sort of special arrangement. If you want to go, just get in touch with the KWRESC Center. Although we have often used larger scopes, uh, we had four 12-inch scopes there set up uh, around the same time. Thursday night, we had a brief parting of the clouds so we could do some sucker hole astronomy and some planetary observing of Jupiter and Saturn. But the real observing gold was to come on Friday and Saturday nights. We had a couple of new club members out and I spent a bit of time giving them targets to try off my mental list of Messier objects. They are easy to hunt down in between working on my own observing. My highlights for the evening include um, Marie's showing me the double peak of Mons Amperi and a nearby mountain just poking out of the shadows of the Apennines on the moon. Uh, looks like two little stars. And he also discovered the short crater chain uh, by W. Bond that neither Marie nor I had ever noticed before. And it was not present in either of our atlases. So they are still looking into that using uh, some internet tools. Uh, seeing Neptune's largest moon, Triton, was the first for me. Was a first for me, and some wonderful views of galaxies in Pisces, Aries, and Triangulum. Some of the galaxies were old favorites, and some were old nemesis, such as M seventy four was a nemesis in his four point five inch reflector days uh, before finally finding it in 2020. Uh, but there were a bunch that were new to me as well. I've attached a sketch of ARP 284, and I've put that in the bottom of our notes there, Shane. An interesting galaxy pair found near 16 Piscium inside the circlet. I was surprised by the detail of the view. At first, I mistook the core of the brighter galaxy NGC 7714 for a star, but as my eyes settled, I was thrilled by the very irregular shape faint extensions, and the faint partner galaxy, NGC 7714. And that looked like it stabbed right through the centers. I'm guessing with a bright dot. Oh, through the center of mm -hmm. NGC 7714. I was not expecting that much detail for galaxies over 100 million light years away, but there it was. Sadly, we had originally scheduled a star party for the weekend before, but had to move it. And because of that, Michael had to abandon the star party and drive home due to other life events. Those who stayed were treated to another night of fine observing. I have seen some nice shots of the Veil Nebula snapped by our club member, Terry. Marie had a ball hunting down globular clusters near and far with her go-to agent Schmidt-Cassegrain. And Ellen gave the first views um, through her new 8-inch classical Cassegrain scope. I've heard good things about those and uh, had mixed observing success and frustrations. I uh, wish it could have been around to help celebrate the skies with everyone. Looking forward to the spring edition of Bayfield next year. Cheers, Michael. And he included a sketch. I put it at the bottom there. What do you think of that sketch? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I really like it. Um, what I what I appreciate about this sketch is that I like to me anyway, it it, it captures the um, kind of the actual magnitude or brightness of this galaxy. Um, mm. You know, it it doesn't uh, over exaggerate, I guess, how bright it it is. And I, I think that that you you correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I think that that's challenging when you're sketching. You know, to to represent what you're seeing, but not over represented. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it's hard. I struggle with that. I think Randall was jiving me about it one day just because, um, and sometimes people can misinterpret. So I'm not a great sketcher. I'm, I'm getting better. It's it's a continuous improvement scenario to say the <laughs> least. Shane's laughing. He knows it all too well. Um, but when I was uh, sketching the uh, M33 uh, a few weeks back, and I was trying to put, you could kind of see the spiral structure a bit. I was trying to capture that a bit. It was just barely there in the 12 by 36 binoculars. And then people thought that I was putting in the H2 regions. And I was like, no, I did. I'm not claiming I saw those in the binoculars. So I, I've tried to start including more notes with my uh, with my sketches to, to prevent such assumptions because yeah, oh, okay. Randall wrote me on the side and gave me a pretty hard time. Michael does a much better job. He's a he's a much better sketcher than I am. So what we can see here, it looks almost like a bit of an S. And then there's sort of these uh, two tails shooting out. Actually, you know what it looks like? It looks like a, a pelican almost that's eaten a fish that's too big and it's stuck in its... Oh. Uh, to, to me, that's, that's what it looks like. And it's very small. You know, this would be like yeah. a very miniature pelican pelican although probably in, in real life this thing is probably uh, several hundred thousand light years across so this would be a massive pelican if, if you were to get up close to it <laughs> for sure no now that you say pelican i i see that for sure yeah that's a great description yeah but great work to hunt that down and yes. uh, observing arp galaxies is tough you know and sometimes and and i i get this as well Sometimes, you know, particularly us with smaller telescopes, you walk up to the 12 inches and it just seems like you can see everything with them. And then, you know, you start observing with Mike and he's trying to hunt down stuff that's that's pretty faint. Or you get a sketch from Michael here and, you know, they're looking at these ARP galaxies that are just fainter still. And it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Cool. All right. Anything else to uh, add to this show, Shane, before we get on the go? No, sir. That is it. All right. Well, thank you for listening, listeners. Please subscribe, do us a favor, and share the show with other stargazers you know. Lots of people have been doing that. We really appreciate it. We're seeing our numbers going up, and that's due to you, our listeners, sharing it around with other people like your clubs, friends, or your online forums that you belong to. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Uh, you can always send us your show ideas. We're happy to do shows based on information that you send us, or if you have some really great observing uh, reports, observations, star parties you attended, uh, send us those notes along as well. Uh, or if you have any questions, uh, we get lots of questions from people. We don't put them all on the show. Um, but if you do have questions about amateur astronomy or, or what to buy, or if you have a problem, we had somebody with a problem recently, we're not going to dig into that. Um, let us know and we can try to help you out as much as we can. This is just a service. It doesn't cost anything. We just do this for fun because we enjoy it. Uh, so thank you for listening. You can email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.